Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Brilliant Benchich saves championship points to win in Abu Dhabi. Wu wins China's first ever ATP title. And Djokovic requests an exemption to play Indian Wells. Kim, Chris, today is the 13th of February and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ, especially backed by our crowd funders, Georgina Davis and David Whitefield. We have had an enthralling week on the tour, ATP and WTA, 250s and 500s, championship points saved and some historic moments, I feel, potentially uh, in the context of the season, uh, which we're going to be getting onto. But Kim, first of all, what I'm excited to talk about before we get into the podcast is you have actually been away and on holiday because I know there was some confusion about some later grams, you know, during our Australian Open coverage, whether you were in Belgium or not. But actually, over the last week, you have been abroad. I actually have been away. Uh, no confusion. Uh, my Instagram is, <laughs> is kind of up to date. But yeah, I've been away. I've been I've been to Mallorca, been oh. to Palma uh, for a long weekend of sunshine Lovely. and York and wine. And I have brought some Ensamadas back for both of you as well. You'll be pleased to know. Was oh, this a Rafa scouting mission? Of course not. Never. <laughs> um, I was on the other side of the island, actually. Oh, okay. uh, so Other side of the island. That makes it sound like you're in the TV show Lost. <laughs> um what five thousand episodes later and they're all found to be <laughs> there's, no polar know... bear. there's no polar bear spoiler <laughs> there alert polar bear? Yeah. yeah spoiler I, alert I... for any lost listeners <laughs> i started uh watching that and then just gave up after i think four episodes back in the day um but yeah no i'm back from mallorca so we haven't actually caught up for for a couple mm. of weeks um so it's it's nice to be back with you all and and i've very um excited to what to listen to your uh episode at the davis cup uh chris you did a fantastic job out in copenhagen i was i was listening and screaming with pride uh at tennis weekly's presence at the, the i Denmark found freddie i found freddie kim i know i was like a proud dad you found freddie yeah proud proud dad joel um and just fangirl here freddie nielsen on the pod proud parents proud parents of the pod yeah so, send me out there and give me a mission and, and i'll try and convert <laughs> for you too i just want to make you proud of, of some <laughs> some sports arena outside copenhagen yeah exactly. where where well where can we send you next chris hey <laughs> uh, but that that was my highlight of the last kind of few weeks podcast wise tennis wise aside from a few wines in mallorca um joel proud podcast dad what was your um favorite moment well, it is related to Denmark and to Holger Rune, actually, but this is Holger Rune uh, on the tour because he was playing um, this week and he was playing Maxime Cressy in the semi-finals, and uh, 
this was <laughs> I just thought this was quite funny. He um you know he was in a really tense semi-final with Maxime Cressy, servant volleyer Maxime Cressy. He was really bringing his game and Hogaruna was he was so close to winning but it ended in defeat and after the match he got onto social media and just proving the point that I think me and Chris know is that he just loves tennis and is willing to have a conversation, I feel, with anyone um, who's used, who's talking at him or with him on social media. And uh, he replied to a fan saying, uh, referencing uh, Maxime Cressy's serve, well, should I say serve and volley antics. A lot of people were talking about him as a serve bot. And Holger Runa said, super boring tennis to watch. But okay, fun to play against. I've beaten him three times before. Yesterday, I just wasn't quite as sharp with my passing shots and he didn't miss many serves. So I'm enjoying this sort of cheeky chappy Hogaruna after the defeat, getting on the getting on the defensive and uh, shutting, down the, uh, shutting down the serve bots. So that, maybe that's the one tennis match he won't be watching then. If he says it's super boring <laughs> to watch, maybe he's mm. not going to be watching many of Maxime Cressy's matches, even though he is a big tennis fan. He has a point, though. I don't like watching massive servers and serve bots. But, um, I mean, he tells her how it is. So I guess he's got to give him some due for that. But Would he have watched the Dallas Open final? That is a big question. Because John Isner, I think, served 44 aces in a best of three set loss. So I don't know if he'll, be, he'll have been watching that. Maybe super boring tennis to watch, yeah. Super <laughs> yeah. boring, that one as well, apparently. Chris, what, what's been your highlight from the, the past few weeks on tour? Well, I actually have a question for you. So I think I shared a clip with you guys of Bublik destroying some rackets. And I think for oh, me, yes. the highlight of this wasn't, I don't condone racket abuse. I have broken a few rackets in my time. But what I would say was that he uh, took one, the racket he had in his hand, smashed that. And then the commentator said... Uh, don't worry, he's got many more rackets in his bag, essentially. And then he got out two more and smashed them. I, I saw that. He, Were they in on it? They must have known that was going to happen or something. It felt like maybe maybe I've been duped by social media and, and they've said that uh, <laughs> they've kind of put a different voice they've over. They've dubbed it in. Uh, yeah, they dubbed it in. Maybe they dubbed it in, exactly. Effect. But yeah. should you get three warnings for three rackets or should it just be the one for three rackets broken? Oh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking that because I genuinely didn't feel like one warning was enough. But it, it isn't like one racket smash equals one one warning. It feels just like one one moment or outburst. one tirade, and you can you can have as many racket throws as as you want or smashes as you want. And yeah, it could just be a warning. Yeah, I think. I mean, technically, oh, that's I don't know what the answer is. I'm lost for words, Chris. You've you've made me speechless <laughs> so early on in the podcast. Um, that's a really good point of, of is it proportionate to the crime and i think yeah there should be if you're actively going in to get more rackets to carry on smashing them that's three times the amount of disrespect so i would i would be yeah i would give a partial warning okay yeah definitely i think that's a point penalty yes because that's that would be one would be a warning two would be a first serve would go and you're giving the third as a point penalty mm. there joel i mean that's fair enough as, as kim said you know he's reached into his bag to actively get out more rackets to throw. And yeah, I don't know if a warning is enough. I feel like it doesn't really condone the, the action. And, you know, maybe in the future, yeah, players are just like, well, I'm just going to take out all my anger in one go. Let me smash more than more than one rackets because I know I'm just going to get a warning. Well, I mean, why not, to be honest? I think uh, if that's what if that's what the rule is, but I, I personally would say 
maybe pack a stress ball in your bag, give that a couple <laughs> yes. of squeezes and then move on. Have you ever seen a player smash more than one racket in, in the same situation? Because I, I can't recall seeing like three is three is excessive, isn't it? That's got to be the record. Yeah. Three is excessive and it's it's just rude and unnecessary. So, um, but I think, yeah, Chris, I know you're not condoning um, racket abuse, no. but I think <laughs> I think it is an interesting point. It's, it's I think it should increase in, in severity, but I think they probably need to make that very clear in the rules so that the umpires have, you know, are singing from the same from the same hymn sheet, essentially. Um, so, yeah, public, oh, sparking a debate already on Tennis Weekly <laughs> uh, to start this catch up off. And let's look back at the last couple of weeks on tour. So I've had quite a quite a few tournaments going on. Let's let's begin on the WTA side of things. We had a 500 event out in Abu Dhabi, which saw Belinda Bencic winning the title. Uh, she saved three championship points uh, to come back and beat Ludmila Samsonova uh, to get her second title of the year um, and her eighth title overall. Um, interestingly, this was a player that she'd never beaten before. So, um, Chris, what do you think was the crucial factor in, in meaning Bencic was able to, to kind of get the win and to turn the match around in, in the way she did. And, you know, against a Sam Sonover who she, she'd never managed to beat previously. Well, I watched those match points and it was centimetres from one of those shots not going over. It did hit the net cord and then she won, she won that point. So I think, um, again, we've seen it time and time again that... It's just a point here and there, and that can decide championships. It can decide Grand Slams. Uh, so I think when it comes down to it, the thing that probably is getting her over the line is the work that she's doing with Terzanov off the court. I think we've seen him create title winners in kind of a net contravit before. Sabalenka, she was bringing home a lot of trophies with um, Terzanov as well. So I think it must be the confidence she's getting off the court she's able to really kind of put on the court. But in terms of the overall results, I think... The question that I have is given the level she's played, she pushed Eager at the United Cup. She won the title at another 500 in Adelaide. And then she only got beaten by the winner at the AO. And I think she could have had a much deeper run um, at, in the Australian Open because she's showing, I think, the second best sort of level of tennis on the tour. And she's now the match leader of the year. So I think my prediction of her as a US Open champion might not be looking as... Uh, wild as it might have done at the start of the season but I, I'm very impressed with this and anyone who can save three match points I think well, fair play to them yeah because she lost to Sabalenka didn't she round four at the Australian Open so it could could have been a slightly different story perhaps but you mentioned um that you think she might win a slam later in the year Chris but I mean Belinda Bencic has never been beyond the I think well she's only been twice beyond the quarterfinals so clearly there's a bit of a disconnect up till now in, in her career. Joel, do you, do you think that this is maybe, yeah, going to be her season now? She's partnered up with Tersonov. We've seen the effect he's had on players before. Do you think she can kind of finally get deeper into a slam? I think, you know, the level she's showing on the tour, it's it's almost baffling, I think, when she comes to Grand Slams, you know, why it hasn't clicked. You know, her, her results last year, I don't think she went beyond round three um, in, in the four majors. And I think we always see her performing to her capabilities and beyond, um, you know, in, in tour level events. I think she's very unflappable 
even in the you know the tensest of moments like championship point down she does not give you an inch and I think you know for me that mentality should really help her when it comes to grand slams in those pressure environments in the in the latter stages I think it was unfortunate that you know she had to come up against the eventual champion Sabalenka um, so early on in, in the Australian Open in round four because I do think you know, she's been playing great tennis since the start since the start of the year, and um, that was an opportunity for her to potentially go deeper than than she got to. But um, I just think, yeah, I think that's what you know she's probably going to be looking to Tursunov to kind of help her with. I don't think there's much really wrong with her game. She's playing very very well, but it's that breakthrough that I feel that she needs. And although it's happened, I think twice at the, at the U.S. Open. I feel like you've, you've got those opportunities there because it's at the end of the year, it's a long season, there might be players who are injured or, or tired or not as fresh. Um, but earlier on in the season, given the all-court game that she has, yeah, I would ex- be expecting her to to do some damage. And I do think we should be talking to you know, her, like you know, getting back to kind of, yeah, Grand Slam semi-finals because she's certainly, to me, showing the uh, showing that ability at the moment. And was it Sam Sonova who was the player, I think, back at the Billie Jean King Cup uh, in the final, I think, Russia, Team Russia, they swapped, um, so they swapped Sam Sonova in to, to play mm. Benchich. And then, you know, because they knew that she had such a good head to head against her and then the Swiss weren't very happy about it. And um, am, am I correct in thinking that was the, the matchup that they knew would work particularly well and wasn't particularly, uh, was kind of against the rules, but sort of not but yeah she's now got the better of her I guess finally so maybe that if that came up again if if team Russia allowed back into events they wouldn't be able to do that anyway I do think it's interesting though that I think her best results have been for Switzerland you speak about the Billie Jean King Cup winning that with with Switzerland um you know last time out gold medalists as well for Switzerland in Tokyo in the singles I think she also won the the silver medal in the dub in the ladies doubles so I, I don't know why why you know, she obviously channels that that passion she has for you know playing for her country very very well, so she can play on the on the on the big you know, the biggest stages of them all. But yeah, for some reason, it makes it to me all the more strange that yeah, she's not from what I've seen anyway over the last season or so, she's not quite able to transfer that onto you know onto Grand Slams when she's not playing for her country. I guess you think about that from the Raducanu perspective as well, that quarterfinal that they had. She looked like a shell of the player that she could be. Uh, And it makes you think she got very kind of angry with herself at times. And I think she has tried to kind of hold herself to a very high standard because of how well she can play. So it could be one of those ones where at Grand Slams, everyone brings their A game. And if you aren't able to kind of bring your A game against someone you should be able to beat, maybe she hasn't handled that that well. And she's kind of bowed out early. And Chris, you said, which I thought was quite interesting about about Tursunov, because before mm. this, you know, we spoke about, you know, <laughs> quite a few pods ago about Radikanu and Tursunov having a, you know, having a test, having a trial period. The fact that we're seeing this from from Benchich with Tursunov in her camp, does this make it even more of a missed opportunity, dare I say, for Radikanu not to have extended that partnership with Tursunov or seen maybe or given it a, a bit more time given you know the results it seems to be it seems to be paying um for for Benchich absolutely we we all were very excited with that partnership and I really believe that could work he said he gelled really well with Emma and clearly the problem in that team is not Emma Raducanu the problem lies somewhere else the insinuation was it was with some of the decisions with her parents were making so he actually 
insinuated through likes on Twitter. This is alleged, obviously, from what he said, that um, that was the reason he walked away from that uh, and didn't take an extended contract. And I think when you see how he's been able to take a player who may be, you know, in that sort of top 20 bracket and help them push forward, he did the same with Sabalenka, same with Kontovic, doing the same with Benchich, where she's going from top 20 back to top 10 so quickly... Um, I think that they really did miss an opportunity there because I think it would have been the perfect perfect match for her. And out in Linz, we had another WTA event, uh, which saw Anastasia Potapova uh, pipping Petra Martic to get her second title of her career. Um, it was quite a straightforward affair, really. 6-3, 6-1 in the final out in Linz. Uh, Potapova doing the business in about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, she was down at the start of the first set, but she clawed her way back and then seemed to be on uh, on course, um, going going quite strong after that. Um, so, yeah, Potapova getting her second title of the season out in Linz. We did have the top seed, Maria Sakkari, uh, actually falling uh, to Martic in the semi-finals, and Potapova coming through against uh, Von Drusova, who's, uh, yeah, got off to a bit more of a decent start to the season, hasn't she, as well. Um, Chris, what did you make of Potapova's performance uh, this week out in Austria? I was I was impressed with her. I think she's someone who, after she broke through in Istanbul last year, winning the title on the clay over there, she beat Kudometova in, in that final and was very, very impressive. And I think people thought she might do a little bit more. Um, and so I think it's great to see that she's able to put some results together and kind of live up to some of the the expectation that was there. Uh, I think she's got a great kind of all-court game. I think she can swing really freely off both sides. I think she's a good match player. And she goes out and she she really brings her, her game to her opponents, even when she's not necessarily playing the cleanest of tennis. So I, I thought she did very well this week. I thought the level in the Martic-Sakari match in the semi-final was much higher than in the other semi-final with Von Drusova. Mm. So it's just a shame for me that Martic wasn't able to bring her top game because um, in the highlights I watched from that match, some of the lobs she was hitting, some of the the, the drop shots, some of the, the court craft that uh, Martic had in that, it was just a shame that kind of, it kind of got dragged into a baseline slugfest and she didn't really end up on the right side of that for, for her game. But I think it's um, a, a good result nonetheless for a young player. Yeah, and Zachary, you know, falling again at um, that, that semi-final situation, We've seen it before, Zachary and, and semi-finals. Joel, is there anything Zachary needs to be doing? She just seems to be reaching that limit of mm. the like kind of, you know, almost a, a semi-final ceiling. Is it, what do you think she should do at this stage to, to kind of get yeah. over that duck? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? I think, you know, you look at this draw you, and to me it's a bit like, um, you know, Sinner this week. Sinner was able to just come through, I think, what, straight sets, didn't drop a set won the tournament with ease. And I was looking at this draw in relation to Sakari and I was thinking she really should be just strolling through this draw, having no dramas at all and lifting the title at the end of the week. But it's not just clicking for her. And I do think she just sort of panics in the in the stages, particularly when she does come in as the, the top seed, highest ranked player, whether she just feels that pressure and it perhaps builds, um, you know, throughout the week. But I think I've got to say, though, Petra Martic played very, very well against Sakari. Sakari was playing, I thought, very good tennis. I watched some of the match she had earlier on against Donna Vekic, who had a very good run at the Australian Open. So I thought, you know, Martic did bring her her A game. But yeah, it's just for me, Sakari, whether she just has 
the weight of the expectation of being the number one seed get to her, the more it gets into the tournament. She just needs to approach, I think, every match like maybe it's just like the first round match because I feel like she's more relaxed in those earlier rounds. Yeah, I think that's a... Yeah, I think I think I think I would second that. Um, but I mean, so getting to the semi-finals, we, we we can't be. You know, some players would love to get to the semi-finals. So it's it's just that we know she's got the talent to kind of go that next step, and it's just frustrating, you know, at tournaments like this that she's not quite able to do it. Um, let's have a quick look back um, because we do have some tournaments from two weeks ago. Just just quickly to touch upon because um, well, we had uh, the Thailand Open. Lin Zhu uh, beat Lesia Serenko uh, to win her first career title um that was a straight sets victory um and zoo was the, the the player who actually had quite a good start to the season getting to the um round of 16 at the ao i think she was the one that came up against azarenka who had very high you know high praise for her after that match saying she's you know going to be top 20 so um she seems to be doing the business so far in, in 2023 um getting her first career title and uh yeah, make, making inroads on the tour. So she, I think, will be into the top 50 um, soon. Well, she's in the top 50 now, actually, um, as a result of that. Chris, just one word from you. Um, Bianca Andrescu, I see she fell against L- L- Lesia Serenko, the eventual finalist. Anything you want to add about Bianca's time in Thailand? I know you're a big fan. It looked like she had a really nice time in Thailand, is what I'd say. I think <laughs> was, she it really enjoyed. <laughs> was it too nice? Off the court, she hadn't been before, and I think she really enjoyed it. So I think I'll leave it with that. Oh, nice. I mean, perhaps more fittingly for the podcast, um, you know, and, and one of our players that we, we do sort of follow here at Tennis Weekly, Caroline Garcia, she was playing at home in Lyon. Uh, she got through to the final. She, I would say, was the hands-down favourite for the final. She'd be going pretty well all, all week uh, coming through only dropping one set on route to that final playing at home home fans up against Alicia Parks of the United States and um when I went on to check the score I think I was out and about went on to check the score and I was I was quite flabbergasted actually that Garcia didn't win uh, it was 7675 to Alicia Parks she lost in straight sets and Alicia Parks yet another first time winner on the WTA tour um Joel, I know you're a bit of a, a fan of Alicia Parks. I think you've you've told us both before that you think she's one to watch. So were you quite feeling a bit smug when she she came through and, and got her first title in, in Lyon? A bit smug. And also, I'm not going to lie, a little bit surprised because, you know, this was Caroline Garcia. She's been in a great run of form over the last 12 months or so playing at home. And she was really using the the crowd, I feel, to, to, to try uh, and intimidate her opponent. But... Yeah, Parks has been, you know, I've been reading about, you know, how she's being touted as, you know, almost alongside Coco Goff as the the two brightest, you know, lights for the the future of the women's game, particularly in the in the United States. And um, you can just see her, you know, I've been reading about how she been growing up idolizing Serena Williams and really kind of using that as the kind of the cornerstone of her game. And you can see the power that she can bring to the court, particularly on her serve. If it goes in, it is very impressive and it is very, very hard to to get back. And when you have such a big booming serve like I think Parks does, it makes you very, very tricky to um to be defeated if you can keep your you know your first per first serve percentage up when you're on a you know an indoor court like this. And uh I just think she played the big points very, very well and it was great to see. I think she's announced herself. I think she'll be looking to make this season 
a breakthrough season you know she's won this title which is great and I'm excited to see if she can kick on you know go back to the states sunshine double coming up certainly make a name for yourself and she'll be high on confidence and, and belief with this with this result well, she did lose in Lintz in the first round of the next match that she played just to kind of rain on your parade oh, slightly we go, there, the Joel. <laughs> well, I just think I have, to, I have a little bit of um, in defence of why I didn't necessarily kind of have her as one of my she top She served 52 uh, aces in five matches in Lyon. That is great, but I mean, as we've talked about before, you've got to have a bit more game than that as well, and I think she mm. does definitely have that. But um, I think it'd be interesting to see how she moves into some of those bigger draws because quite a lot of her ranking is based on, uh, you know, as, we, as she talked about herself, she's been in the final of a 60K at the, last year and now she's winning a 250. And she did pick up a couple of those December uh, WTA 125s in France as well. So I think it will be interesting to see what she can do, as you say, like at a bigger tournament. But her second serve, her kicker second serve is probably one of the best second serves on the tour. So I will, I'll give you that, Joel. I'm winning over Chris, but it, it feels like I'm, I'm still, <laughs> we've still got to take time. He's not going to take it on this just this one tournament. No, and there'd be a lot of parallels of people <laughs> talking about her and Serena Williams and all of that. But perhaps we we shouldn't, you know, go go too go too mad early on. Yeah, she's won one title, but with a bit of an upset in that final. But we don't want to get yeah ahead of ourselves. But you two can continue fighting over the the Alicia Parks <laughs> hype, maybe going forwards the rest of the season. <laughs> um, Let's look at the ATP events uh, from the past week on tour. We have the uh, Dallas Open to talk about, first of all, because, and actually, Joel and, and Chris, you, you mentioned this earlier in relation to, to Holger Runa's uh, comments about serve bots. Um, <laughs> we had one of those in the Dallas Open final, John Isner. Um, and he was up against uh, Wu Yibing, who um, actually managed to beat him, but what was perhaps not so surprising um, was the fact that it was three tie-break sets uh, with Wu managing to come through uh, to defeat Isna. 6-7-7-6-7-6. The last tie-break was perhaps the most exciting one of all. Um, 14-12 and four match points saved uh, for Wu. Um, Chris, Wu is now the first Chinese man to ever have won an ATP tour title. Um, do you think this is a very significant moment for for China as a as a tennis playing nation on on the ATP side of events given the result we saw in Dallas? I think it's really significant. I think it's something that's really important um for the for the tour as well. I think obviously the ATP have continued relations with kind of China and there will be um tournaments played in China this year and we know that there's been some really big uh, attention for players like Li Na in the past. Um, when it comes to the women's side of things. So I think there's always been that question as to why there hasn't been a male player from China who's been able to perform like this. And having a player who's on the younger end of the spectrum, I think is also very exciting. And as you said, I'm very well, I'm always pleased um, when, when someone who we would consider to be potentially a serve bot gets their comeuppance in a final <laughs> because you think you have to work that much <laughs> harder but I don't think John Isner, I was quite surprised. I didn't, don't think John Isner should be winning titles on the ATP Tour. Uh, I was surprised to see this result personally, that he was in the final. But um, no, it's a breath of fresh air, I think. Uh, a new a new titleist from, and the first time someone's done that, I think um, mighty impressive. So I say woohoo. 
Woohoo. I like that. Um, yeah, it's crazy because his ranking was, I think, in the foul, over 1,000 uh, last, last year. He's had a lot of injuries in his career up to date. So, you know, hadn't really played for about three years prior to to last year but but Joel um what what did you make of, of Woo because you know he beat Taylor Fritz and Denis Shapovalov um you know earlier on in, in the tournament so great great wins there for him yeah he's had a, a fantastic week as you said he's been I think plagued by injuries over the last few years I watched a clip of him against Nishikuri um out in Asia a, a few years ago and it's great I think to see him now fulfilling on that that potential and that promise and um yeah he was he was so good I think in in the final game another player coming up against a, a home hope home resident I think in in John Isner and although yeah I was probably surprised of which American was going to get to the final given we've spoken about how many Americans are in the the top 50 I wouldn't have put John Isner necessarily you know at the, at the top of that list but it just shows, I think, with a, a big serve, you, it can still can still take you places, regardless of, you know, if you're perceived to be to be getting on a bit. But I think for Wu, this is an incredibly exciting moment, and is assuming or hoping, for his sake, that he can keep his um, he can keep himself healthy. I have no reason to see why he can't continue to go up the rankings because I think he's got a very very solid game, and could be a big moment for for Chinese tennis. I mean, they've got Ching Weng Zheng as well on the, the women's side. So it seems that they've got two great talents, you know, coming up in the game that could really shed a, a more positive light, I think, on on Chinese tennis. Because I think at the moment, the, the conversations, the ongoing conversations with topics like where is Peng Shui, which still haven't been answered, the topics around WTA and the tennis tour, it's all been a bit negative. But I think we've we've seen with, with players like this, there are actually some some positive stories there as well. Yeah, exactly. And we don't want, obviously, the, the sort of more negative stories to um, affect, you know, someone like Wu uh, coming through and, you know, playing amazing tennis and clinching his first title because, you know, he's not part and parcel of, of everything else. So um, we should still celebrate, obviously, these other successes. Um, but yeah, I mean, Wu winning four match, uh, you know, saving those four match points. There's a lot of match points being saved um, and also a lot of first-time winners, I think, over the last few weeks on on tour. Um, also on the doubles side of things, Jamie Murray's teamed up with a new partner, Michael Venus, so they won the men's doubles um, title together out in Dallas. Um, but we also had the Montpellier Open as well in the south of France, uh, which saw Yannick Sinner. Uh, winning winning the title uh, straight sets over Maxime Cressy, um, which is where the comments from Holger Rune um, came from earlier because it was Cressy that beat Holger Rune in the semi-final out in Montpellier. But yeah, Sinner getting the better of Cressy in the final 7-6, 6-3. Um, interestingly enough, Sinner's only ever lost one final um on the uh, tour that you know that he's played, that came in the Mar- Miami Masters out in 2021 to Hubert Hercage. Um, Joel, do you think Sinner's almost perfect record in finals um, made him kind of you know the the standout favourite when it got to to this stage of the tournament, or do you think Maxim Cressy should have uh, perhaps done a bit more in that final? Oh well, I was actually I was a bit surprised actually. Uh, you know, Runa didn't get to the final because I I would like to see more Runa Sinner matchups because I think we can all agree that that is a rivalry for the you know for this decade and potentially potentially beyond so it was a little bit I guess disappointing that we didn't get that final I'm sure we'll get that match up at at some point uh, again in the future but um yeah I think for me Sinner's just you know I think last season 
was a blip. You know, he had a few injuries, wasn't really kind of able to sustain himself on the on the tour. So it's great to see him doing well this time round. I think a little bit of a reset and he just had a very nice, easy easy route through I think that the tournament nice walkover to begin with against Fucevic interestingly came up against a, a French uh, youngster Fies in the in the semi-finals who I think is 18 years old who knows maybe adding himself to the mix of potential <laughs> next French, French male number, number one. one exactly but um, yeah I think very nice kind of draw for Sinner to get through and although Cressy a very awkward opponent in the final I don't know if, if he was a little bit tired. I knew he was a little bit hampered, I think, by his hand um, in, in that final. But um, yeah, for me, it was just job done, I think, for, for Sinner and not much more. Mm. And and Chris, aside from Arthur Fee, yeah, very excitingly, possibly future French number one. I'm sure we'll be mentioning him at some point on this podcast if he becomes big. Um, what did you make of 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 Holger? I think, especially you know, out in Montpellier, given that you know you interviewed him only last week. Um, obviously, it's a shame he didn't go further than the semis. But um, yeah, how did you make of, of his performance? Um, you know, just after the the Davis Cup. I, I I was pretty impressed. I think obviously the the Cressy match was very close and could have gone uh, kind of either way. He did do really well in tie breaks. You know, he took three tie breaks in the first couple of rounds that he played, um, and then he also took one of the tie breaks in the Cressy match as well. So you know, winning winning five tie breaks in three matches is an awful lot and is a big ask. I think obviously it shows that he plays those tie breaks really well. Uh, and the serve is coming on a lot because that's what he said he was working on. And it was clear at the Davis Cup that was his focus, getting a higher first serve percentage. And, and that's exactly what you need when it comes to landing those first serves in tie breaks. I have to say from a scheduling perspective, I did think he was a bit tired. And that was kind of the word on the street at the Davis Cup. And such a quick turnaround from there, getting yourself to the south of France. And now he's in Rotterdam. So I think scheduling is something that I am sort of questioning in terms of uh, whether he'll be able to peak at the big tournaments because it's been pretty relentless. And I wonder how much that might have sort of impacted uh, on that Cressy match going long. But a good showing, a consistent showing. And um, I don't think he'll be too disappointed with that semi-final loss. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's uh, not not the end of the world, is it? And we're out, out in Cordoba, we have the, the start of the Golden Swing. Joe, I bet you're absolutely thrilled um, because we do love a bit of Golden Swing action. Uh, so we had the Cordoba Open in Argentina. Um, I have to say, classic kind of Golden Swing final matchup. Uh, Sebastian Baez against Federico Coria. So an all-Argentine final and it was uh, Sebastian Baez coming through in three sets. I made more of it, I think, than probably Nick Kyrgios did, given uh, yeah his 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 comments on Sebi Baez. But yeah, nice nice victory for him. I think he's yeah not had a little bit of loss of form, but I always think he could he can draw in a clay court for some inspiration, and and that's what he did in in the Hordeba Open, and maybe he can continue it uh, for the rest of the Golden Swing. And let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing Novak Djokovic applying for an exemption to play Indian Wells, a Wimbledon men's doubles moving to a best of three format, and also looking ahead to all of the action to come this week, including the return of Carlos Alcaraz at the Argentina Open. So do not go anywhere. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a bit of par for the courts, I think, Joel. Um, I think you've got a potentially quite hideously hard one up Well, up it's, your a, it's a different, <laughs> do you know what? It's a different type of format for a, a par for the courts or a different topic area that I've not tried before, but I'm I'm keen to keen to see how you both get on. So I'm actually going to give you and our listeners, a Grand the Slam. <laughs> the answers. <laughs> well, Thanks, no, not yeah. the answers. Well, not just yet. But um, I'm going to give you a Grand Slam and a year and an event. And I want you to tell me as many of the round of 16 entrants as possible. Oh, and Wow. <laughs> I know. And the event I've chosen is well, a quite unique one, I think we can, we can all agree on. It's the 2020 French Open which everyone, of course, will know as the French Open that took place in the cold, dark Parisian uh, skylines of uh, October uh, when they just decided to kind of up sticks from April, May time and were like, we need to we need to make some money. Let's do it in October. So, yeah, 2020 French Open, round of 16 in the ladies' event. I'm not going to give you the countries just yet because I feel like that would be a little bit too easy. But yeah, I'm looking for any of the round of 16 ladies singles players um, who reached their 2020 French Open. Oh, gosh, Chris. Wait, you, I, is, I feel you like... said ladies singles, right? Yes, ladies singles. Okay, okay. And this is going to be, to be a back and forth. So I want to, I feel like we can start with, chris on this one so yeah i'm gonna let chris kick us off i'm not feeling very confident so I'm, i think i'm gonna go <laughs> for the winner of that tournament i hope i really hope was Igor Fiontek. correct yes Igor Fiontek is in the round of 16 i'm gonna also play it fairly safe to start with i'm gonna go for the finalist uh, and that was sophia kennan can you believe it that is very good. I wouldn't have put that as my first answer, but yes, correct. Sophia Kennan <laughs> on the list. Maybe we should work our way back down to the round of 16, Kim. Um, I'm going to go for a semi-finalist and I'm going to go for one of Joel's favourite semi-finalists um, from recent times, but this was actually a quarterfinal this year, uh, Trevisan. Correct. Yes, Martina Trevisan on the list. So if we're doing round of 16, uh, I'm going to go for one of the other surprise act 
Acts, which uh, was Nadia Podoroska. Very good, Kim. On the list, Argentinian Podoroska, yes. I think Kvitova had a good run in October that year. Correct. Yes, Petra Kvitova, Czech Republic. Yep, on the list. That definitely skipped my mind. Um, <laughs> a, a player I, I think got to the... Oh, gosh, I'm sceptical about this now. Um, no, I'm thinking of the... I'm now going into the year that Krachikova won, I think. Oh, um, Go with your gut, Kim. What, were you th- what are you thinking? Well, Don't this player say a might... <laughs> No, no. This player might have... Well, they would have been allowed to play then, wouldn't they, in 2020? Yes. Yeah. I can't think of anyone right now anyway. Um, I wanted to say Maria Sakkari, but I think the semi-final she got to was 2021 because she had a match point, I think, and then lost to... Oh, I'll just say Maria Sakkari because perhaps she got to the fourth round. Maria Sakkari... That is an incorrect answer. Oh, no. no. Maria Sakri not on the list. I thought you were going to say Barbora Krachikova, who did reach the round of 16. Did she? Yeah. I had no idea about that. Yeah, I know. I know this was a very, I know this is is a very testing one. Um, I had Halep. I still had Halep to go. I mean, you could have had Halep. Yeah, she obviously lost to Igor Sviontek in the round of... 16. Um, yes, Trevor San. Fiona Ferrer is the only other one that I had. Yep, very good. And then good. I was out because that was a great match against Kenan. <laughs> Kenan turned that one around. I love that match. Yep, you could have had Fiona Ferrer. You could have also had Caroline Garcia got to the round of 16. Kim, to miss Caroline Garcia. Did she really? And that was before yeah. the Renaissance. Yeah, wow. that was way before. And Chris, when you said one of your one of my favourite players and you said Martina Trevisan, I thought you were actually going to say Danielle Collins, who also is on the list. Was that the year she beat Muguruza? Potentially, potentially. But you could have said Danielle Collins. You could have said Kiki Burtons. You could Goodness. have also mm, said Ons Jabor. And the two or three others at the bottom of the draw, you could have had Laura Siegmund of Germany, Zhang of China, and oh, yeah. Paula Bedossa, who I think was the second seed. I mean, that is very surprising. I do yeah. think that was the year, though, when Siegmund should have gone out in the first round because of a bad call in the Kiki, yes, yes, you're uh, right, Mladenovic match. Yes, I remember so that match. Yes, I'm very good at the early rounds, Joel. So if we could do round one, <laughs> of slam. it was uh, all, all yeah, 128. Oh yes, yes, 128. Yes. Give, us, give us a chance. Count. Give us a chance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know that was very, Absolutely. very, very tough. I might give the countries next time, but um, yeah, we'll uh, maybe have to fine tune that. No, that was a good good one. And um, Chris, unsurprisingly, won yet again. Uh, so he's very good at those ones. Um, let's uh, have a look at the mailbag from this week because Tom uh, very kindly got in touch on email and asked us the following question, which is quite an interesting one, I must say. Um, he said, hi, guys. Following on from the success that Biomechanics has had on the Sabalenka serve, which player and shot do you want to see undergo the same treatment? Oh, that's, um, yeah, really good and topical question. So thanks, Tom, for getting in touch. Um, Chris, what, what's your answer to, to Tom on this one? Well, I think I have talked about it already this year, but Coco's forehand, I think, let's get some biomechanic <laughs> analysis of that because I think that could really do with some improvement. 
And then I thought in the in the spirit of equality, I would also go for Stefanos's backhand return. Yeah. Because I really don't understand what's going on there. There's a lot of backhands, I think, on the men's game but I would put biomechanics to. Did you go for a similar thing there, Joel? Yeah, I, I was thinking the Berrettini backhand. Just Ooh, yeah. constant... Mm. constant topic of debate in terms of of limiting his game i also was maybe thinking about the cam nori double hander i know it works very well for him and you know he's doing very very well with it but it's still on tv it just looks very very awkward and and very very stiff i've personally gone for something really niche and do you remember chris you mate this was maybe predating your time on on the pod but Joel, you'll definitely know Indy DeVroom, <laughs> uh, who was famous for hitting Wait, a significant amount of double faults uh, in any one match. Mm. And I thought if she could do have a better second serve and help get some help with the biomechanics <laughs> of that, her double fault count might go to a more reasonable level. Um, I think, yeah, if there was some ridiculous stat, I can't, can't remember the, the ins and outs, but she really goes for her second serve and then yeah. as a result hits a significant amount of, of I did not forwards. Kim I'm not gonna lie I did not expect Indy DeVroom I know we are a tennis <laughs> podcast and I tennis know we're weekly. big tennis fans yeah um, but I was just thinking biomechanics is the new trend isn't it at the moment I feel I think like getting someone who you know supports your mental health was like the big thing last year and now this year it feels like it's the the year of of biomechanics yeah, I mean, I'm tempted to, you know, book an appointment, see if they can improve my serve as well, because I don't even think Sabalenka had a problem given how bad my serve was. So I think it is, it is definitely the hot topic. And mm. I think it's, um, I think there'll be a few players on the tour who'll be thinking, why haven't I done this? And maybe this is something I should actually look into because clearly it's made a big difference for her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, her first Grand Slam title, so biomechanics all the way. Um, but yeah, thank you, Tom, for your question. That that definitely got us thinking, and uh, also got a very niche niche tennis player <laughs> onto the onto the pod again. Uh, any Dutch listeners out there, I'm sure you'll know exactly who Indy Devroom is. <laughs> and any any listeners who like to yeah drop down to the uh, to the lower level of of professional tennis as well will we'll absolutely know Indy Devroom. A um, couple of bits of news, though, from this week uh, before we finish up today, uh, one of which is Novak Djokovic making headlines again um, and headlines in relation to COVID and vaccinations and, and travel requirements, because currently the United States do still have a, uh, a ban on visitors who are not vaccinated. And that is going to end, I think, on May the 11th um, this year. So um, that will mean that Novak can play the US Open later in the season, but it will mean that he's not currently allowed to play Indian Wells or Miami. Uh, Novak Djokovic has, however, um, basically put in a request uh, for a special exemption. Uh, He submitted the documentation for that. So he's waiting to hear if he will be able to to enter the country, essentially, before the the rules are are lifted. Um, Tournament director Tommy Haas has said that he, he wants Novak to be able to play. It would be a shame if he wasn't there. Um, but obviously, you know, a rule is a rule. And we saw what happened in Australia when Novak was trying to to get in. Uh, what do you make of this news? Do you think this is just a really bad um, decision from Team Novak? It, it, you know, trying to go for an exemption or in light of the fact the rules are going to be over in a, in a couple of months anyway do you think it's like the sensible thing to do Chris what's your what's your opinion on this news I think it's very unsurprising I think we've seen what went down in Australia and that even in the height of all of that 
uh, he still sort of wanted to try and get into play. And I think that is his goal is to play tennis. And if your goal is to play tennis, you're going to apply for an exemption. So I, I don't have an issue at all with the uh, request being put in. Uh, I think it's completely up to the, the people who make the rules. We, I just hope there's a consistent and clear answer when it comes to this, um, because we don't want any confusion. We want complete clarity as to whether exemptions are going to be allowed for these tournaments. Um, I do think that good old Tommy Haas did go a little bit too far by saying it would be a disgrace if he couldn't play. I think um, it's definitely would be a shame not to see him play there, but it would be more of a shame, you know, if the rules were not stuck to and the rules are there for a reason. Rules are being lifted. He'll be able to play the US Open. So he's number one without the points from uh, the Sunshine Double. And I think he'll be fine with or without it. If it was whether I'd let him play, uh, if if it if it was up to me, uh, if I was the president of the United States of America, I feel like that's what the question is, not the tournament director. But um, I, I would have no problem if he got an exemption and played. I don't think that would be a problem. And Joel, do you have any anything to to like? Do, are you in agreement, or do you do you think? Yeah, I think it's hard not. I, I like I understand maybe from a PR point of view with tennis fans why this would be controversial, like. Um, in terms of you know applying for an exemption, feeling like you're you know you're different and you want to you know be there, but I do think like maybe times have changed and I understand where he's coming from. He just wants to play on a tennis court, and I'm just thinking, just let him play, just let him play. I think as much as like he has his critics, I think tennis is better when he is on the court doing all these amazing and and superhuman things. So. I think it it would be a loss to the tournament if we we didn't see him there. So um yeah, I would I would like to I would like to see him there. As probably as much as probably Tommy Haas is is, is does as well, but I do think he maybe sounded a little bit desperate. Oh, Joel, you think it's a disgrace if he could uh, play? He sounded a little bit desperate, saying? didn't he? But he's a tournament organizer. I'm just he's probably just thinking, look, I want to put the best tennis tournament on. He's printing his possibly. posters, Joel. He's already on yeah, there. He he's needs like, to know he's got I'm a print deadline. My marketing campaign if if Djokovic exactly. And the other bit of news that we did have uh, very quickly uh, was that Wimbledon doubles, they're moving to three sets uh, instead of best of five, um, you know, due to kind of time constraints and players being able to kind of enter the doubles and, and have a more realistic shot at playing in multiple events at Wimbledon and not having to have, I don't know, 10 hour long doubles matches. Um, yeah, they, they've gone down to three sets, which is, would make Wimbledon in line uh, with the other Grand Slams. Just a quick one from both of you, yay or nay to that decision, Joel? Yeah, I mean, this this makes sense. Uh, I yeah. think it'll be interesting to see if Kidnick Kiros actually plays doubles. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it brings it in line. We like that consistency. I think it is a lot to ask whether it'll have the desired impact on singles players playing doubles to be seen. But yeah, I think this is a, a step in the right, right direction. And I also think just the wear and tear on, on, on grass courts, you know, they go under a lot of strain and a lot of stress, I think, across, you know, across a couple of weeks. And I think this will just let them breathe a little bit more, which I think will probably help with the schedule. Yeah. And, and Chris, uh, yay or nay? I, I think scheduling, as you say, is, is a major issue at the Grand Slam. So for me, I think it's welcome from that respect. And I do like consistency between the slams. I think they've been at fault for not necessarily always communicating as well as they can with each other in terms of how they how they operate. Um, 
and that's including kind of with the rules that are in play across the rest of the year as well. Um, I do think it's good for for tennis because I do think you'll get more top players playing and I do think it's more exciting to watch. I think we've all been at Wimbledon where we were like, oh, come on, when's this one going to finish? Because this next one's coming on. (laughs) Um, So I do do think that maybe it will help in that sense, yes. Yes, I I agree. I think it's a sensible decision. Um, So that pretty much wraps us up for for this catch-up. But we do have a couple of tournaments underway uh, this week. We've got the Rotterdam event, uh, which is the indoor event for the the men, the F500. For the women, we've got the 500 event out in Qatar. And we've also got uh, Delray Beach and the Argentina Open, uh, which are 250s for the ATP as well. Um, Carlos Alcaraz returns to the tour. Uh, he's out in the Argentina Open. So going, getting a bit of clay action to, to kind of ease him gently back into the tour, perhaps, after his injury layoff. Uh, Cam Nori is also playing that one. And uh, Rotterdam, as usual, has a very good good lineup with some top top players. We've got the likes of Sitspas, Rublev, uh, Felix Ojeelisim, Medvedev, and uh, and our new favourite Holger Rune, <laughs> um, fresh off the back of a tennis weekly interview, um, he's out in Rotterdam, and Igor Svantec returns in Qatar, um, along with Jesse Pagula after the Australian Open. Um, who have you got your eyes on this week? Any particular highlights that you're looking out for, Chris? Well, I know where you'll be watching, Kim, because Fernando Vadasco has a wild card for Delray Beach. <laughs> Is he trying to reach as many wild cards as Andy Murray? He got thrashed, though, in, uh, I think, last week. Uh, I can't remember who it was too, but it was very comfortably uh, a loss for him. So that was maybe not as exciting as it sounded. Yeah, trailing off. (laughs) (laughs) That does make sense. Mm. Now I think there's a couple of interesting matchups. I think I'd like to see Alex Malkin play Dominic Team. I think that'd be a good one. It's a stacked field over in Doha. I think. um, You know, I mean, when you see Madison Keys, Ostapenko in round one, you know you're in for a good tournament. So three rounds of qualifying to make the main draw, which is just for me like obscene for a 500. Yeah, it was quite something. Um, so there's a few few matches that I think will be interesting there. Bedosa versus Haddad Maya. That Mm. was a really good epic early in the year. So I'm I'm going to be between Doha and Delray Beach. I reckon. For me. I'm curious to see how Igor Shiontek gets on. Is is the pressure back on? Um, you know, after after the Daniel Collins round two, Australian Joel, Open. I know potential it, and Belinda Bencic in a quarter as well. It's I know it's a it's a five hundred, but it, there is no let up there. So uh, although Igor Shiontek is the is the number one seed, yeah, she's going to have it. I think very hard going from straight from the get go. I agree. I think Svantec is where I'm kind of looking this week to see to see how she gets mm. on um, off the back of not winning the AO. <laughs> Sorry, it's a lot more difficult than I think Carlos Alcaraz out in Argentina, where you know he's coming mm. back from injury. I think he's got a you know a couple of sort of a nice opening potentially, and then maybe he gets Sebastian Baez in in, in the quarterfinals. But um, yeah, another player to to see yeah how he gets on and i see cam norrie's extended his stay beyond colombia in, in south america absolutely well, i think that brings us to a close we'll see how this week's tournaments get on but we'll be back next monday as usual for another tour catch up here at tennis weekly listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the tennis weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from the atp and wta tours we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts or spotify
You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. Or you can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Tennis Weekly HQ for another episode. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.